Bill just sent me um, a, a Facebook post that's a bunch of uh, screenshots from the Jurassic Park updates Twitter oh, account. Oh my god. The... <laughs> and I am completely losing my shit over the Velociraptors <laughs> have acquired a case of four logo. <laughs> <laughs> I have not read that one yet. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I'm one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and today I'm still a little bit sad that the 24-hour bike ride that I uh, do annually would have been this past weekend, but obviously did not happen in any official capacity this year. So I did a couple laps, hung out with some friends in a park, socially distanced, uh, gave them some money, got a tattoo, but it wasn't the same. Joining me, as always, drag me out of this slump is my fellow co-host. Martha Sullivan, teen librarian, and a little bit aghast that you still got a tattoo. (laughs) Um, I kind of, I don't want to say I got it on accident because I fully intended to do that. Uh, But I walked into the tattoo studio assuming I was going to be signing up for a time slot at like 2.30 in the afternoon on Friday. Um, Everyone was wearing a mask, it felt okay. Uh, and then immediately they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we have a slot right now. Go sit down in that chair. Give us $40. We'll do a tattoo. Um, it took five minutes. Everyone was wearing masks. I felt okay. I mean, yeah, you're an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Um, also this was like a thing that I definitely did want a tattoo of because sad to miss it. Uh, yeah. Okay. So. Uh, this episode is not to not to drill too much on on my weekend and and you know missing things that otherwise would be happening. Um, this episode is a retrospective episode. We are at the end of July. Uh, we're coming out literally on one of the last days of July, and we thought now would be a good time to look back on this weird year so far and just see what media we enjoyed. Um, obviously, it's been a challenging, difficult year for many reasons. So what are the silver linings that have made this a good and interesting year? So we're just looking back on the uh, media that was uh, put out to us in the year 2020 that we consumed uh, in the first half of the year. Before we get to that, though, it is only fair that we share with you what is stuck in our heads this week. Basically, just whatever we want to tell you about. Um, Martha, I got a, a sneak peek of some of your thoughts on Twitter, but I'm very excited for you to explain what is stuck in your head right now. Uh, so the other night I was tooling around on Netflix looking for something to watch, um, as frequently I am wanted to do, and starting a TV show felt like way too much commitment for me, but I did notice that Netflix now has all four of the Indiana Jones movies on it. Hmm. I have only ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark all the way through. So that, that astonishes me, because Last Crusade is great. But, continue. Last Crusade is fine. <laughs> um, no, so I'm I'm through Last Crusade. I haven't watched Kingdom of the Crystal Skull yet. I am fully prepared to enjoy it more than most people did, um, because these movies were not important to me as a child. Mm-hmm. So, um, no, Raiders was great. Marion uh, Ravenwood is the best part of these movies, and it seriously bums me out that she did not get to be in... Uh, Last Crusade. Temple of Doom is a bad movie. Yeah, Temple of Doom was made when I when definitely Lucas and maybe also Spielberg were going through divorces and it shows. Yeah, it has some it has some pretty effective horror beats, but also it is very racist. Very racist, um, very sexist. And literally no one nobody has character motivation for anything. Heart-ripping Kalima dude has character motivation. Sure. Yeah. That is the only thing I remember from uh, Temple of Doom. But what was that cult trying to accomplish? Kalima! Kalima! (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. I think they were digging gems or something? 
they were looking for some mystical stones, but I don't know that ever any. Go. I don't know that anyone ever actually told me why. Because they glowed, but I didn't know what they were doing. Glowing rocks. Yeah, you need uranium somehow. I don't know. It was. <laughs> it was fine. Um, no, it was bad. Last year's name was fine. Um, I enjoyed Sean Connery a lot. I'm always here for a good daddy issues plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also kind of always here for a good, like, Freemasons puzzle box movie. X marks um, the spot. Yes. <laughs> um, I Yeah, a movie like that always has to do the work of convincing me why, like, in 2,000 years, no one else has solved this puzzle. Sure. Um, but I, I thought that they did a pretty neat job with that by giving, um, by showing that a lot of what Indy discovers is the result of having access to his dad's research, who has been working on this for like his entire life. Right. So, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I was bummed that Karen Allen couldn't be in it. Yeah. I will uh, update you once I have seen uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I have not seen, I have seen. Crystal Skull more recently than uh, Temple of Doom, and I saw Crystal Skull in theaters and have not seen it since. I'm low-key intrigued to watch Crystal Skull again, but I it left a very bad taste in my mouth. Um, partly because I like indie, but also partly because it was that mid-aughts action, like George Lucas action movie, where it's like, it's all CGI flubber and not, like, you know... The, the, I mean, the action set pieces go on for too long and it's too much flubber and it's not like, yeah. Um, and it, I mean, I have not seen it, but I, I believe in my soul that it is absolutely true that that movie was created in order to try and revive the franchise with a younger star. Sure. Um, and that is always a little bit like, but is this really doing the thing that everyone loved the originals for? Um, but also, I like Shia LaBeouf. I'm sorry, I don't know if that's a controversial statement. Um, and I, like, I have more nostalgic attachment to the Billy Zane Phantom movie than I did to any of these. <laughs> so, what? <laughs> that movie is amazing. Uh, I have not seen that movie since around the time I saw Temple of Doom, I think. Oh my god, that movie's incredible. <laughs> Also pretty racist, but <laughs> um, anyway. When you watch that, talk to me. Uh, my brother Mark has a really interesting thesis on that movie, which I think makes it, uh, 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 um, Crystal Skull, which okay. contextualizes it for me in ways where I'm like, yes, I appreciate what they're doing. Still don't like it, but inter- like they're doing something interesting. Um. My last Indiana Jones thought is I recently learned that in um, Last Crusade, Sean Connery uh, says, like, Then I remembered my Charlemagne. My uh, army shall be the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Or something like that. Um, after using a bunch of birds to bring down a German fighter, as you do. Uh, and I recently learned that quote was entirely made up for that movie. And I'm furious because I thought I knew some Charlemagne. And it turns out that I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, disappointment. <laughs> so, I mean, still a great scene. Just very sad that they had to make up a Charlemagne quote. Uh, so what is stuck in my head this week is uh, on Friday, as of this recording, uh, a little singer-songwriter named Taylor Swift put out a new album called Folklore. It was a surprise release. She announced within like 24 hours that it was coming out. No buildup, no singles, no nothing. Um, Aaron Desner of The National was deeply involved in the composition of the album. And uh, in, as made famous by the press release, Justin Vernon of Bon Iver is on a couple songs and was also involved in the production. Basically, a lot of the Eau Claire Fest folks are involved in this album in some ways. If it's just they're playing instruments on it, they're part of the arrangement, whatever. Um, which makes sense because Aaron Desner and uh, Justin Vernon are the like the brain children. No, the 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 brain fathers of the Eau Claire Festival. Um, I like this album a lot. It's, it's very good. It's her slower, folkier stuff, but I always love that. Um, her song with Jay Vern, "Exile," is incredible, and I have been singing 
you know, roughly 60% of the lyrics correctly uh, for most of the afternoon. <laughs> um, I, I have seen a lot of people posit before this album's release um, that they anticipated a kind of Joni Mitchell-esque turn mm. for Taylor Swift at some point in her career. I don't know if this is that, but it is um, contemplative in a way that I am very much enjoying from her. I I heard it referred to as her Lana Del Rey album, and I, I think that that's a closer mm-hmm. comparison. And like I like I like Lana Del Rey, so that's not a, a negative I was comparison. Say, I no, I like Lana Del Rey too. I think this is better than that. Fair. I would say that it's more Lana Del Rey than Joni Mitchell. Well, yeah. yeah. Like I said, I don't think that this is that. Right. Like but this I is think that this is, um, kind of like oh she could be headed in that direction. Right. But I so I like. I like this album a lot. I love all the direction it's going. Obviously, it's like it's Aaron Desner and Jay Verner are, are, you know, behind the console at various points. I'm all in anyway. Some of the songs feel like national songs. That's a good thing. Um, but also, it doesn't have the like the T-Swift pop bangers that other albums would have. Um, and I was talking with uh, my wife Martin about it, where it's like she loves the slow songs on T-Swift albums because she also likes the pop bangers. And as a comprehensive whole... She thinks it makes a strong album. She was less excited about this because it doesn't have the pop bangers to sort of counter the slower songs. Um, and I, I get that as a critique. Like, that's a good and fair critique. I think it would be bad if, if Taylor Swift went all in this direction going forward. In the same way, I think it would be bad if she went all, like, pop banger going forward, you know? I just, I enjoy that this is, like, a little bit more grown up than what we've seen from her before. Um, I thought the album was good until I got to August, at which point I thought that it might actually be great. Mm. Um, and then Invisible String had a line in it. Oh, what's the line? Invisible String had a line in it that made me stop the song and immediately replay it. Ooh. That is a good. <laughs> um, yeah, it was cold was the steel of my axe to grind for the boys who broke my heart. And I was like, oh, no, I need to start this song over again immediately. Um, <laughs> the the lyric structure of Invisible String is amazing. I love the X is the Y like sentence structure. Um, it only works in it only works in poetry and song and it only works sometimes. But for me, it worked very well here. Well, and I think that it makes that song... I haven't finished the album yet. I'm still... I was listening to it on my way home, and I didn't quite get all the way through. Um, but that one so far is, like, the most poppiest. Last Great American Dynasty, I think, is the poppiest. Okay, I haven't... I don't think I've hit that one yet. You, If you're listening to it in order, you have. It's a third song. <laughs> oh, and I just don't remember. Right, I mean, like, it's it, it's a very, like, it's an upbeat, up-tempo song. Um, yeah. I'm anyway, I'm kind I of like amazed it, it took you to get to August, which is like literally halfway through the album to like really click. Like August is a great song, don't get me wrong, but um. I I think it might be because I was driving. Like I definitely will listen to it again, but that was the first song where I was like, "Oh, now I kind of know what we're doing here." Yeah, yeah, totally. And and I will say I listened to it once all the way through and I was like, "I enjoyed that. Some of those songs I remember." Uh and it took me about listen 3 or 4 where I'm like, "All right, this album is all the way through slaps um i will say that so far nothing that taylor swift has ever written this album included is as good as blank space which is her <laughs> best song <laughs> oh blank space yes. i mean that's a great song i'll fight, for, I'll fight for this no one. no like, no I, i'm only I legitimately think that it's her best song <laughs> 1989 was the album that got me into Taylor Swift. So like the first half of that album, every sing- any song you say from that, I'm just like, yeah, no, that's her best song. Like Shake It Off, yeah, that's her best song. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the 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 Kendrick Blank, Bat- Space is, Blank Space is the second track on 1989. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, uh, the Kendrick uh, oh, remix of, of Bad Blood, A plus style, amazing. Style is also great. Out of the Woods, A plus. Wildest Dreams. Mm-hmm. Man, Ni- 1989. 1989. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that that was the album where I went from being like, 
having a chip on my shoulder about Taylor Swift because, like, I was a hipster and stuff to being like, you know what? Screw all that nonsense. Taylor Swift is a great musician. I think we've talked about that. I think we have, too. We, well, we talked about Carly Rae Jepsen. Um, Did we also talk about T-Swift? In that episode where I I got to yell about people looking down at media created for women? (laughs) I would imagine so, because I would likely have brought them up in the same, like, space yeah um yeah um anyway so i'm glad that we uh, ended up talking about taylor swift folklore so that we don't actually end up talking about it for our best of 2020 um partly because it's so new that i you know we haven't really had time to percolate on it or, or stew in it so it felt bad to put it on the list of best things of the year so far um definitely and worth partly, mentioning though right definitely worth mentioning and also this is a nice little cheat to get in a reference to this uh, before we actually go through our list. I kind of so, feel like if this is the music that Swift makes in isolation, she should maybe spend more time in isolation. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, Aaron Desner had a fun thing where he's like, I couldn't even tell my daughter I was working with Taylor Swift. And I oh. I just feel like that's adorable. <laughs> um, especially when you're living in the same house with this daughter for months on end without any chance to leave the other thing that i just want to mention really quick i know we're kind of ready to move on but the fact that she that this album was written and put together collaboratively but also in quarantine like none of the people making this album were ever in the same room with each other yeah it is both an incredibly collaborative album um and and she made it with incredibly collaborative people like all of the the eau claire crew that's on this album are like steeped in the ethos of collaborative music but they were steeped in that ethos when they could be in person um so the idea of like bringing like having a superstar be part of this group and also you're not there in person i feel like those dynamics could be very tricky to navigate and based on the output of the album they navigated them very well yeah, we have to move on. We but do have yeah, to move it's on. it's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we've uh, talked about this long enough. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be uh, telling you about our favorite media consumed thus far, put out in 2020, consumed in 2020. So come right back. Put out in 2020, consumed in 1987. Yeah, weird. <laughs> we are all time travelers now. If only. Welcome back. So today we are talking about the best or favorite media that we've consumed this year that has been made this year so far. As a quick disclaimer, we're not going to be talking about Hamilton, because if you want to know our thoughts about Hamilton, you should listen to our previous episode, which was a combination Afrofuturism slash Hamilton podcast. When I could not stop talking about it. (laughs) And I was aiding and abetting. Uh, and we are also not going to be talking about The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin, because I believe over the course of the past, I don't know, ten episodes, we have talked about that book every episode? Um, It's a very good book. (laughs) It's a great book, but we're not going to be talking about either of those. We cleared space so we could, um, highlight other works of media. Um, so I'm going to go first. We're going to start this conversation with just the last movie that we saw in theaters, uh, pour some out right now for Tenet, which I don't believe I'm ever going to get to see. And also, you people need to put on masks so I can go see Dune in theaters in December. If L- I don't get to see that movie on a big screen, I'm literally going to burn something down. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, you know, if the Fremen can wear still suits all the time, we can just wear masks. So, like, get it together, America. Oh um, <laughs> so. Now I'm stressed about that. <laughs> i'm sorry uh so the last thing that i saw literally right before the quarantine hit um such that i was in a movie theater by myself heard someone coughing behind me and and went like oh oh no what what is this um was the amazing film portrait of a lady on fire um french lgbtq rom-drom i guess period 
period romance. romantic drama. Yeah, yeah, all those things. Um, I feel like I'm not allowed to call it a romance because Marin will reach through the computer she's and slap wrong. me. She did not like it, and I knew, whatever, she's wrong. Uh, it's a romance, even though, spoiler, they don't end up together at the end. Well, um, okay. But it's a romantic has, drama. She has a point, though. You can be a romantic drama and not be a romance. Like, a romance, I actually get her point on this because words have meaning and genres... Like genre labels mean specific things, and one of the requirements for being a romance is having that happily ever after. Fair. So it can be a drama with romantic elements while also not being a romance. I would I would go to the math that it is a historical romantic drama. Okay. Um, and that romantic dramas can have not, uh, not them together at the end. But that um, doesn't make it a romance. Sure, that's that's fair. I I <laughs> I, I I will accede to that one. Um. I was going to say, I don't think anybody is arguing with you about whether or not this is a romantic movie. Sure. I will say I haven't seen it yet. It mm. is a great shame of mine. Yes. Um, because I was not able to see it at the music box when it did its very limited release. And I have had precious little attention span for subtitled movies mm. these days. And I want to give it the attention that I know it deserves. I will say this is... Um... I think the subtitles will help, but this is certainly a movie that you want to, like, lock your phone away for because it is gorgeous. Well, uh, right, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, I, I haven't had the focus to watch something without, right. like, messing around on my phone for two hours. Playing, and I playing Animal Crossing. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that for this movie. Right, right. Um, I, I would, I cannot recommend this movie highly enough. Um, I'm a little bit astonished at how much I loved it. Um, that being said, there's an Orpheus Eurydice through line to it, and like Orpheus Eurydice stories are my kryptonite, so um, that certainly helped. Uh, about halfway through, when it's like one of them is tell like the two of them are together with like their maid, and it's like they're just reading the uh, myth of Orpheus from a book of French myths or whatever. I'm just like, oh no, are they doing this story in this movie? I'm doubly all in. <laughs> What woman behind me coughing? You can cough all up in my face at this point. I am staying in this theater. <laughs> uh, maybe not quite that much, but... Anyway, uh, Martha, what is the last movie you saw in theaters and also is on your list for best media consumed? I was going to say, I, I want to say that I put this movie on my list before I was like, oh, and also it was the last movie that I watched in theaters this year. Mm -hmm. Um which was the Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of one Harley Quinn, which was a very good movie, and anyone who tells you differently is probably a comic skater. Mm. Um, they're, they're, no. they're pushing for the Zack Snyder cut. Ugh, nobody wants that. <laughs> um, no, it was very fun. It is... I did not enjoy the Suicide Squad movie, but I wanted to very, very badly. And this movie is a lot of the reason why. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with the Suicide Squad comics, but they are very fun and, like, ridiculous and over-the-top. And the Suicide Squad movie took itself way too seriously and did not let Harley Quinn be, like, ridiculous. Anything uh, but a sex pot? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but no, I loved it. I hope they make a sequel. Um, it made more money than people are weirdly willing to admit that it did. So, gee, I wonder why. Right. <laughs> uh, well, m uh, much like you, much to my great shame, I have not seen this one yet. Um, I've low key been waiting for it to show up on HBO, and I'm rapidly approaching the point of just being like, rent it on iTunes. It's fine. Um, because I thoroughly want to watch it because it seems fantabulous yeah it is <laughs> it's uh, very entertaining mm -hmm. the only problem that i have with it is that they there is a character in the movie who is great but they name her cassandra kane and she is extremely far like okay cassandra I, kane like the the uh Deaf bat or mute bat girl, Cassandra Kane. Yes. Okay, but I'm guessing this is not. No, and like this character bears so little resemblance to her comic counterpart that I think they just should have given her a different name. Sure. 
um, rather than have me be distracted by the fact that it's like, oh, that's not right, and then feel bad that I am nitpicking like that. Because mm-hmm. normally I don't, like, like, things get changed in adaptations and that's fine. Um, but yeah, right, but like, when, when, when it's just, like, this is a completely different character. Right, when the only thing that's similar is the name, then that's not a, you have changed things in translation. This is a, you have made up a new character and used a familiar name. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, well, so for the rest of this list, we've grouped our stuff uh, in terms of movies, TV, and books. Uh, we have different and and music. Uh, and Martha has books. I have music. Surprise. Uh, so we we are gonna <laughs> do this. Are strong. <laughs> uh, we are gonna do this by uh, I guess media. Um, so some of us might have like I have one movie. Martha has two, uh, and so on. So we'll we'll play around with this um, going forward. But we're doing it by media. So uh the uh, i have one movie this year that has really uh stood out to me um i considered putting the old guard on this list netflix's new super comic book movie at least um it was a lot of fun i'd recommend watching it it might be so ephemeral that it will just fizz away in six months from now when none of us will remember it i hope that's not the case but i didn't want to put it on the list just yet uh save that till the end of the year movie the movie that actually has stuck with me, I talked about last episode, I believe, as my What's Stuck in My Head, which was Spike Lee's De Five Bloods, um, a Vietnam and modern, a Vietnam War and modern movie about a group of um, uh, African-American men who, uh, veterans of Vietnam, buried some gold there, are going back now as older men to dig it up, the shenanigans that happen. It's an incredible film. Um, it's it's. I'm not like the biggest connoisseur of Spike Lee's films, so there are large gaps in my Spike Lee um, oeuvre. But it's easily the best of his that I've ever seen in like two decades. So. Um, I haven't watched it yet. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean it's it's also a a watch. Like, put your phone away and and dedicate the time to it but uh yeah martha how about you for movies um so i cheated on this list real bad because i didn't want to make choices um uh, for this i have two movies that were both released um on netflix uh that i watched for Mm -mm -mm. my other podcast is, is a hulu original Hulu original. Sorry, they're streaming. They're both streaming. I, I have no idea also, what the half of it is. Spoiler alert. Thanks. <laughs> um, no, it's the half of it and Palm Springs. Uh, the half of it is a very cute teen rom-com that flips the uh, Cyrano de Bergerac story. Um, it's about a teen girl whose name I don't remember off the top of my head, um, but she gets asked by a jock to write letters to the hot girl that he has a crush on, um, and she develops feelings for the hot girl also, and then we get a lot of very good friendship development between... um, I'm sorry, I'm going to look up her name because I feel really dumb that I don't remember what it is. Serena? No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) As... How dare you? <laughs> uh, Sienna. Sierra? No. These would all be good names. Ellie. Her name is Ellie. Come on. Um, Paul is the jock, and then Aster is the hot girl. Um, but the, the friendship that develops between Ellie and Paul is very good. Um, watching Aster kind of figure out her identity in all of this because she's dating a like small-town preacher's son, uh kind of deal i don't know it's very good um it's very sweet it's another one that i think marin got mad about because it doesn't have an explicit happy ever after um it has a different kind of happily ever after the sound you heard was my eyes rolling in my skull uh, but more importantly, I, she liked it, though. I don't remember. Go listen I, to the Love You episode where we talk about it. I, I do think she liked it. Also, having edited all your Love You episodes, I'm pretty sure that 75% of teen rom coms are legally obligated to be Cyrano de Bergerac knockoffs. Um, <laughs> Did so, we do another one? I feel like half the ones you've done have been. So when you said it was a Cyrano de Bergerac story, I'm just like, okay, which one? No, they're all Shakespeare knockoffs. You can do a lot. I've I've edited at least three Cyrano de Bergerac's. <laughs> Fair. 
Um, but yeah, and then the other movie I want to talk about is Palm Springs, um, which is a fabulous Groundhog Day type romantic comedy on Hulu with Andy Samberg and Kristen Malati. Um, they are trapped in the wedding that never ends. <laughs> um, I felt very strongly that that movie was way smarter than it had to be. And I always appreciate that when it's clear that writers and movie makers, like they could have turned in a baseline amount of work and it would have been fine. Mm -hmm. um, but they end up going kind of above and beyond to make something that really ends up being like very original or very great. Uh, and that was how I felt about this movie. I, I loved Palm Springs. I would have put it on my list, except for I saw that you had already had it on yours. Um, so I'm co-signing this one real hard. Um, interesting. I would have thought this was maybe done by some of the lonely. Okay, so some of the Lonely Island guys are like the producers. Yeah, and I feel it's got name on it. Yeah. Um, I feel like the Lonely Island overall does a lot of that, like smarter than it has any right to be stuff. I haven't watched Bash Brothers yet. Oh no, you need to. Okay, pause this episode right now and go watch Bash Brothers. No. <laughs> you would love it because it's baseball. I know, but right now I'm so emotional over baseball. I mean, whatever. They're going to have to recancel in a second because everyone on the Mariners has COVID. So Everyone is going to get COVID. It's going to destroy like, so many careers. <laughs> 14 people on the Mariners have tested positive today. God, I, can't, I can't talk about this right now. <laughs> so instead, go watch Bash Brothers. I'm too emotional over baseball. <laughs> All right. Well, well, let's move on to uh, uh, the media that baseball is generally presented on TV. Uh, that segue got there that hit me in eventually. The head with a <laughs> crowbar. <laughs> um, looks like we both have two TV um, episode or shows. Um, I did two for all of my categories because I'm a oh, dirty cheater. Nice. I I did. Our podcast and we can do whatever we want <laughs> i did one two and three but that was not intentional um so the first uh tv show that i have is the great a comedy drama from hulu uh starring nicholas holt and i'm gonna go l fanning l. fanning yes okay not ellie fanning correct great cool l fanning nicholas holt as uh she is catherine of russia uh the empress great. uh the great. E eventually the great uh, at this point, not yet. Uh, Nicholas Holt is anachronistically playing Peter II when historically he should be playing Peter III. Whatever. He's the emperor. Um, it's a delightful film written by the writer of The Favorite uh, and very much the same kind of humor and writing, uh, but also far filthier. Um, hmm. uh, and, like, sexier. Um... I loved The Favorite, so it was an easy ask for me to be like, do you like that same script, but in Russia? And I said, yes. Sad there are fewer fisheye lenses, because it's not uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, but it is, it is delightful. It is, like, Peter is uh, sociopathic, psychopathic. I don't know what. He's a, a spoiled rich emperor who no one has ever said no to. And, uh, you know acts as such um also it is just crazy fun uh it has ruined and or improved the term huzzah for for me because uh, they say that all the time and then take a shot of vodka and throw their glass to the ground um and then some servant has to go clean it up <laughs> and it's a good it's a good it's a rollicking good time uh, see I, I'm having a very hard time reconciling everything you're saying right now with was also written by the same guy who wrote The Favorite. So, like, you know how the, like, think of all, like, the, the Nicholas Holt court intrigue with The Favorite? Like, not the, um, uh, less the, the final scene of The Favorite and more the, like, foppish buffoonery. Okay. You know, like, there's... I don't know. I have a hard time with Lanthimos's whole deal i think sure and and this is not lanthimos like uh tony mcnamara is the writer this was a stage play first and then became this tv show um okay. lantham like it visually looks very different from the favorite um but the tone is i guess this is more arch and like on the nose comedy whereas lanthimos was more like subdued comedy 
Yeah, the part about Lanthimos that I have a hard time with, which is why I didn't like the lobster and I didn't really like the favorite, is that like so dry and deadpan kind of humor like makes me want to crawl out of my skin and die um i mean there's there's deadpan humor here but there's also a lot of just like oh well no i'm i'm effing her and and you'll f my wife and and he'll f you and it'll be wonderful huzzah um kind of comedy um which is I'll try it i mean i have it's it's been on my radar. I didn't know it was by the same people who did the favorite. Um, well, and again, like it's, I suddenly sound like <laughs> it's it's not Lanthimos. Lanthimos has nothing to do yeah. with it. Uh, it's only the writer. So it like for me as someone who loved the favorite and who is enjoying this, I'm seeing the DNA and I'm like, yes, there's a through line here. Well, um, and I am I am fully willing to admit that for me what I don't like about the favorite comes down to personal preference rather than any sort of judgment call about the movie. Well, like, I, I, I I'm would... glad it exists. I'm glad that people liked it. I would guess that you did not like it, that it was very cold. I don't know. We don't have to get into okay, fair enough. my yeah, yeah. whole deal. Um, <laughs> cool. Um, I guess well... it looked, the, the marketing, which I should know better than to trust marketing, makes it look much more ribald than that. It is very ribald. Or rival. Okay. Um, it's like, what if the favorite meets the Sofia Coppola Marie Antoinette meets oh, like a sex okay. farce? See, now, now you're starting to to come around to yeah. my keywords. A lot of the costumes look very Sofia Coppola Marie Antoinette, which was a severely underrated movie. Agreed. By the way. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I would say if those two films like had a child, it would be great. Okay. So, yeah, give it a try. Um, my other TV show is the ending of BoJack Horseman. I literally had to look this up because I thought I watched this five years ago, but apparently I watched it in January, um, which is approximately the same thing. So long ago. <laughs> I watched this pre, I believe, COVID even being a thing that we were aware of. Um, <laughs> I watched this during the impeachment proceedings, if you can remember that far back. Which was also in 2020. <laughs> oh my god. We have been we have been trapped in this year for so long. You mentioned Palm Springs. Can't wait for some movie to be just called 2020. Um, <laughs> um Bojack Horseman is a TV show that has been on for long enough that if you are listening to this podcast, you are aware of the TV show Bojack Horseman. Uh, the ending was very good. It is a dark and challenging show on top of being very comedic. Um, the penultimate episode, people argue it should have ended there. I disagree because I liked the last episode a lot, but I also I don't disagree strongly because the penultimate episode was incredible. Um, I don't know. Every episode of BoJack Horseman is better than the previous one. Um, the the final season was fantastic. Uh, it I kind of forgot that it came out this year, but remembering that it did, it does have to go on my list because it's just that good. If you haven't watched it yet, you should give it a try. Uh, I can also understand people who are like, it's not my speed, it's not for me, or I definitely don't want to watch it this year. Those are all fine and good takes. <laughs> not going to argue against those anytime soon. Um, but if you've already been into it and you haven't seen it yet, go wrap it up. It's totally worth it. Also, someone on that show definitely has lived in Chicago because the Chicago-specific references for when they are in Chicago are moi, chef's kiss. I got halfway through the first season and got distracted by something else. Yeah. I'll go I mean, it's, it's a tough Probably. show. Like, it's a comedy, but it's dark, so like... Yeah, but I don't have a problem with dark comedies. I'm just saying, it's like july 2020 how like how how dark do you want to get all right so what uh, what tv shows do you have on the docket uh so i have what we do in the shadows which mm. brought light to my darkness this year mm. um my understanding is that's bad that causes them to like burn well yeah because they're vampires hey 
that was bad and you should feel bad. <laughs> I thought that was all right. Um, no, this was a show that I was very skeptical about when they first announced it because the movie was so good, but I didn't know if it was a concept that could sustain a whole series. Works great um, for 90 minutes. Does it work good for nine 60-minute increments? Well, they're half-hour episodes. All right. Um, but also it's fabulous. And the second <laughs> season, I thought um, the only thing that was disappointing about the second season is that Beanie Feldstein is off being like a true star. So she couldn't reprise her role. I did not know she was in it. Yeah, she plays a college student that gets accidentally turned into a vampire in the first <laughs> season. And I was very much looking forward to her coming back. Um, but she is not in it. Uh, no, they shift a little bit of the focus onto um, the human familiar who helps out our three uh, anachronistically historical vampires. There's some very good stuff in the second season. It's delightful. Um, well, and his I, name is Guillermo, which I'm sure has yes. to be a reference to uh, Guillermo del Toro. I would imagine so. Also, because he kind of looks like Guillermo del Toro. Who knows? Like a little bit. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the other show that I've been watching that has been uh, lovely is Doom Patrol. Um, I only recently watched, like, blew through the first season so that I could start watching the second season as soon as it dropped. Uh, this show is my kind of weird. It is. I, I had no familiarity with the comics that it's based off of before mm. watching it. Um, so I didn't know what I was getting myself into. But like... There's an episode where one of the characters is a genderqueer street that moves around. Danny. Danny the street. Do you? How much do you know about this comic or show? Do you watch the show? So first off, this was your what was stuck in your head last week, I believe. Last oh, episode. is it? Uh, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, or maybe two weeks ago uh, or two episodes ago. Um, I watched. I read the first um trade paperback of the Grant Morrison run. Um, which does not have Danny the Street, but does have, you know, the Professor X type, the robot, um, the negative man, um, Black Annie? Uh, uh, Crazy Jane. Crazy Jane. Um, Black like, Alice is a different character. <laughs> Crazy Jane is the one who is uh, multiple personalities and they all have different powers. Yes. Great. Yeah, her. Um. And then probably one or two others. It's been a while. They fight the Brotherhood of Dada, and I'm like, I'm all in for this. <laughs> um, but yes, Danny the Street is great. I watch um, do Matt Bomer's cover of uh, the Kelly Clarkson song at least once a week because it makes me smile. You um, told me on the on whenever it was uh, your suck in your head that it is um. I'm so glad I interrupted you to immediately forget his name. Um, the mummy guy, Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser. Yeah. He plays the robot man. Yeah. Alan Tudyk. Yeah, plays the villain in the first season. Yeah. But yeah, it's delightful. The second season is getting a little darker, but like appropriately so. It's still super weird. Um, yeah, it's great. Nice. Um. When they... And I feel like not enough people are talking about it, and that's why I keep talking about it. Sure. When they first announced it, I was just like, are they going to make this weird enough, or are they going to make it like an X-Men knockoff? So I'm it's really glad weird. that they're keeping it weird. Oh yeah, it's weird. Because like, the whole point of Doom Patrol from its inception is like, we're like an X-Men knockoff, but we're weird. So... All right. Uh, well, we are coming into the end here. We're both in our last category. I have music. Martha has books because we are deeply on brand. Um, I've got three albums going. Uh, I already talked about Taylor Swift earlier in this episode. Um, weirdly, this is in order that they were released. So good job, me. Um, so number one is uh, RTJ4, the newest Run the Jewels album. Um, this dropped early. And for free, right as the uh, insurrections and uprisings were beginning, which is uh, correct because this is the best protest album for this year, 2020. Um, Run the Jewels is uh, the rap duo of uh, LP and Killer Mike. Um, 
Killer Mike had an amazing interview back in uh, late May in Atlanta. Um, it is A-plus militant rap, political hip-hop. Um, it sounds like they somehow recorded and produced this all after George Floyd, but instead they did it all before George Floyd's death, which just kind of tells you everything you need to know about America. Um, if rap or hip-hop is your jam, this is incredible. Um, if it's not your jam, also, like, if Run the Jewels is your jam, obviously you've already listened to this. If that's not your jam, yeah, you're probably not going to like it because it is aggressively aggressive. Um, and so, you know, your, your mileage may vary. I'm not going to judge anyone for their music tastes. That's uh, a lie. I mean, I'm going to judge you for some music tastes, but, like, I have... I have grown a lot as a person. I am much more accepting about people's music tastes. I'll still judge. I'll judge, but less so. <laughs> um, my number two I might have had as a stuck in my head at some point. Um, Phoebe Bridgers' album Punisher. This is her second al- second solo album, um, but she's been in a lot of other outfits between this and her first album. Um, Phoebe Bridgers is a female singer-songwriter musician who does sad indie music, and it's incredible. Um, if you want some sad indie music, you should listen to Phoebe Richards, and Punisher's incredible. Um, and my last one is, uh, Haim has a new album out, Women and Music Part 3, uh, an excellent title because they didn't put out any albums called Part 1 or 2. Um, it's good Haim. Haim does good rock and roll music. Uh, their music videos have all been at least partially directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, and the partials because at various points some of the Haim sisters have also co-directed the music videos. Um, I'd recommend watching those. They're great. Haim sisters are great. Uh, and the album is fantastic. So, uh, Martha, I know that music is not always in your wheelhouse, and you're always at least willing to give a shot to, to recommendations. Yeah, for sure. Uh, if if you've liked Haim's earlier stuff, give this a try because it's it's more of the same, and they don't do good uh, or they don't do bad music. So. Yeah, I'm down with Haim. Yeah. All right. Well, how about you? How about your books? Ah, uh, yes. So I have actually been reading a lot of advanced reader copies this year. I've been ex- I've been exercising my access to a service called NetGalley, where I get to request, um, by virtue of being a librarian, uh, books that haven't come out yet. And so I've, for, you know, it is, it is rare that I am this on top of stuff that is like concurrent with the year that we are in. I, I, um, I was looking through my own books. And I'm like, the only book I've read that came out this year is The City We Became. So I guess I don't get a book category. Yeah, I know. I've, I know that I've talked about the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix on the podcast before, but I just want to reiterate, it's the best horror novel I've read so far this year. It is fantastic. It is nostalgic for the 90s and also a little bit unbelievable that a dude wrote so searingly accurately about the experience of being um, a housewife hmm. in the South. Um, is it set in the 90s? Yes. So, like, like he wrote seriously accurate about being a housewife in the South in the 90s. Yes. Yeah. But, like, there is a whole scene in it uh, where you have a group of women who are trying to tell their husbands that something is wrong. And their husbands are all like, oh, but we've met this guy and he's, he's great. So he's a, he's a good old boy. Are, you guys are just being hysterical mm-hmm. and the way that they are gaslighting these women is so it i mean it's it's the way that i as a now you know woman in my mid-30s like i get talked to like this by men who are strangers and to have this portrayed by men who are supposedly like loving and supportive or like people who should be loving and supportive of these women is like oof frosty cold oh god it it's it's so good um 
the other book I have on here is a graphic novel that I just recently finished, which I may be suffering from some recency bias, but also it's incredible. Sure. Uh, it is called The Lolo Woods by Carmen Maria Machado, and Danny is the name of the credited artist, D-A-N-I. Why do I know Carmen Maria Machado's name? She has written a few different things. She had a book uh, come out this year called in the dream house she also wrote a book of short stories called her body and other parties that's that's what i've heard of her for yeah um i haven't read that whole collection i read the husband stitch which made me want to climb out of my skin um in, in a good way it's very good but so in the lola woods is a comic that was originally published as six monthly issues by a new imprint from dc that joe hill is overseeing uh, Joe Hill is the son of Stephen King, mm. um, and it is about that town in Pennsylvania that has had the coal mining fire burning for, at this point, several generations. Yes. Um, so it's a small town story about two teen girls uh, and the weirdness of this town. Um, the kind of magical realism thread that twists through it is that the women of this town frequently lose time and forget things. And then uh, our two teen protagonists have an incident where they lose a couple of hours um, and decide to figure out what happened and why this is happening to them. Oh, uh, It is a book about generational trauma that blew my socks off. Um, there is some stuff in there. There's some pretty gnarly stuff in there about monsters. Also the things that live in the woods and underground, um, but the through line to it is um, generational trauma suffered by women at the hands of men. It's it's incredible. This sounds amazing. Um, the town is called Centralia or Centralia. Um, then, it's a then it's a fictionalized version of that town. Sure, fair enough. Uh, when does this drop or has it already? Knowing that you were reading it a galley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is going to be officially released on September 29th. Cool. I will reserve a copy because this sounds entirely incredible. Yeah, the fictionalized version of this town is called Shudder to Think. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, but yeah, it is it is a fictionalized version of that town and the um yeah, the burning the burning coal vein ends up being important plot like ends up being important to the plot sure sure um yeah, yeah that, that sounds gnarly. that sounds it's awesome it's great <laughs> cool all right well that is gonna do it for this we're done we're done we're done uh that is gonna do it for this episode um Thank you all for listening. Hopefully you'll go and uh, consume some of these medias that we've um, picked for you as sort of our, our favorites of the year thus far. Certainly not a comprehensive list. Uh, next episode, we are going to be looking at gothic media. Um, we're starting... I have, I have once again conned Pete into doing a topic that I could talk about for a hundred years. So you've also conned me. We'll get to this when we get to this homework assignment. So... Our first homework assignment is we're starting with the granddaddy, Edgar Allan Poe. Choose your own adventure. Consume some Poe. Um, it's a long project Gutenberg. Yeah, so like go on, like pick some stuff. Like read some Poe. I don't know if you want to watch some of the uh, um uh what is his name actor Vincent Price. If you want to watch some Vincent Price Edgar Allan Poe movies, hit the pendulum, whatever. Uh, I'm actually I'm actually going to encourage people to read the source material because I I am specifically going to want to talk about how traditional gothic literature and um like tropes and conventions have influenced modern media and as soon as you start getting into film adaptations it becomes less an example of the traditional stuff that I want to look at. Mm -hmm. um, but also, that watch being them said, they're great. I was going to say extra credit. Watch some, uh, watch some Vincent Price, Edgar Allan Poe movies because those movies are a plus. Um, I will probably be reading the 
cask of Amonti, I can't pronounce it. Amontillado. Uh, there we go. Um, and maybe the Pinton Pendulum and uh, a couple others. Yeah, we'll I'm going to read Follow the House of Usher, because I've never read it before. You? Oh, um, wait, what? I had to read that as a junior in high school. How did you not? Because my junior high school English teacher was worthless. Suck. Um, but yeah, and also The Raven, um, because it's always a good time to read The Raven. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, And also, it'll take you, what, ten minutes to read The Raven oh, at most? I mean, Fall of the House of Usher is also pretty short. Fair. Um, in terms of, so, so the idea with this is we're going to look at the OG Poe, and then we're going to look at some modern examples. So we're going to be watching uh, the Guillermo del Toro movie, The Devil's Backbone, which I had to look up and make sure we had not already assigned, because many people... No, we, watched, we watched El Orfeo. I was going to say, many people confuse this with The Orphanage, or El Orfeo. Um, this is uh, his sibling movie to Pan's Labyrinth. So if you have seen Pan's Labyrinth and not this, that's a double reason to watch this. Um, also set during the Spanish Civil War. The th third homework assignment, because we are doing three, is the one that I had the most... Uh, is the one that you actually tricked me into watching. Um, we're watching the 2011 Kerry Fukuyama, Michael Fassbender, Jane Eyre. Here's my prediction. I think you're going to love this movie. So here's the thing. I love Kerry Fukuyama. I love Michael Fassbender. I'm okay on Mia Watsa Watsa Watsa. Um, <laughs> Jane Eyre was the second least favorite movie or least favorite book I read in high school after Great Expectations, a book I did okay. not finish. So yeah, the thing about the thing about high school reading is that none of the ways that you felt about books you had to read for high school actually count. Very true. Um, reading Dickens now, I'm like, he's a master of language. Reading Dickens when I was 14, I'm like, this is bad and I hate it. So it's very, it's, <laughs> uh, it's very possible that I will appreciate Jane Eyre more. Also, looking at Michael Fassbender through uh, uh, Kerry Fukuyama's eyes is not the worst thing in the world. So, well, and also, this is another instance where I um, purposefully picked this as a modern film adaptation rather than wanting to talk about the original text because mm. I. I have very specific reasons for picking the stuff that we are going to be looking at. And I, I do thank you for your patience with me. I feel like I have may have orchestrated this one a little harder than I normally do. You did, but that's because I gave you all the like all the space to do that. I basically told you, I don't know, we should have Poe and then some Del Toro and then. Huh? So uh, I, I, I gave you the runway. Um. I will say that Marin is excited that you assigned Jane Eyre. I, I referenced that and she was like, ooh, yay. <laughs> um, I will also give you the caveat that I remember almost nothing from that book. So if you like, this will be a pure. Uh, the homework is the text we consume and not the text it's based on situation. That is correct. Yeah. No, that, that, yeah. is, that is a very deliberate choice here. Cool. Good. Then you chose the right person because I remember like literally two things from the book and one of them is that he has his wife in the attic <laughs> which is like <laughs> gothic thing. did anyone ever make wuthering heights into a movie because that was my second choice there, uh, uh, tom, to... tom hardy is heathcliff in some adaptation yeah that was that was a runner-up here <laughs> i was oh, 2000, I... oh 2011 shoot I, I might watch this just for funsies. I would have dragged my feet on the Wuthering Heights. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> even with Tom Hardy. Um, oh, Tom Hardy's not in this one. Oh, boo. He's in some, <laughs> like, BBC adaptation, I think. The miniseries. Sure. Wish Wishbone did Wuthering Heights. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Tom Hardy in a very bad wig. <laughs> Does he have a mask on? No. Well, what's the point? You cast Tom Hardy to cover up his pretty face. <laughs> I hate you right now. End this episode. We're done. <laughs> that does, in fact, seem like a pretty good time to end this episode. I so, <laughs> I'm channeling my Chris Nolan and just covering up his pretty face. Um, so you can find us uh, anywhere podcasts are found: Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. You already know that you're listening to us. Please like and review us, or. You know, give us a rating, review us, tell your friends about us. That's the whole point. 
Follow us on Twitter at DYDYHpodcast. We're also on Instagram at the same handle, DYDYHpodcast. You can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. And you can find us on Facebook by searching for Did You Do Your Homework? Uh, we're the one on Facebook with that title. Uh, Martha, what do you plug in? Where are you at? Um, I'm everywhere at Magical Martha. Um, I write a newsletter, backslash.com slash Magical Martha. It has been less than three months since I last published an issue of that. So, you know, it's it's not like fully dead. Mm-hmm. Um, I do another podcast that updates on the same stream on alternating web, uh, Wednesdays, not websites, Wednesdays, uh, with Pete's wife, Marin, where we watch a romantic comedy and then we talk about it. Um, our last episode was on Palm Springs, which you can listen to now. Our next episode is going to be on a movie called Sela and the Spades, which you can stream on Amazon Prime. I gotta say, your Palm Springs episode is maybe the best episode you've ever done. Uh, it was a true delight. I am glad you think so. It was a little outside of our normal oeuvre. We normally stick to um, more teen-focused movies. That, that also been why, maybe why I thought it was the best episode you've done. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah, uh, your, your mileage may vary. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you can find me at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000. Uh, that's on Twitter, where I'm talking about politics and pop culture. That is all the time we have for And Then Some. So, until our next episode where we're looking at gothic media, class dismissed.